have no idea where in the world someone would go to find that cheesy sound effect. I guess you call it music. That you would find in shows like, here we go dating myself again as a child of the 90s. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. See, that's relevant here in the fast lane. And there's this beautiful site called YouTube. I know that, Trey, but how do you describe cheesy back-in-the-day music from sitcoms and get a response? Well, I know that song. I mean, we know that song. You know, it's not even a song, though. It's like, doo See, uh, I did such a horrible thing. And then it's maybe some background music. You know what I'm talking about? Like the scenes where you got the clouds around the uh, TV screen? Yeah. Please tell me you're familiar with that. Yes. I, I know I may be stretching I've things a bit. I've watched a lot of the shows that came out uh, late 90s, early 2000s. See, there's a reason for this, of course. We're not just rambling on to start the fast lane as we're in the middle of football season. Yesterday, Trey Lyle himself brought up the subject, and this is obviously a bigger picture subject, and we're not going to get into every angle of this here, but the bigger picture subject that is there, it's a reality in the world of sports. And no, we're not talking about conference realignment directly. We're talking about the potential for the bursting of the media rights bubble. I get it. If you're in sports media, that's the last thing you want to hear. And uh, truthfully, I don't think it impacts us on the local level. All that much. Radio, I often liken, you know, audio or radio. You know, it's like an Acura. Or, let me be more frank, Trey. If, if you want a good pre-loved Acura, by the way, Motor World VA. Their sales event ends this coming Thursday, their August sales event. But it's also like a good Chevrolet Tahoe. I have one. Or Suburban. Just dependable, durable, long-lasting. That's how radio works. And so... I guess we're less impacted by it. Not that we aren't, but less impacted by that. And where all this really matters is there's a story that came out from Sports Business Journal, and it's comparing Formula One to NASCAR. And of course, we come at things motorsports-wise much more from a NASCAR angle than a motorsports angle here in the fast lane. But why this matters is that it's it's going to be the cover story for Sports Business Journal later on this week, and it's about the idea that Formula One might have peaked in the United States because they got a major boost. They did the Drive to Survive series, the -the behind-the-scenes look at what goes on in the world of Formula One, and it just so happened they struck the lottery for when that came out. Now, no, nobody wants COVID-19 to have happened, although actually, let me rephrase that. There are some in the political sphere that do. And those that benefit with those types of connections. But the rest of us, not not very many normal people, are like, yes, COVID-19 happened. But some people did benefit from it. And it's not just people tied into political organizations. It's often well-structured, sound businesses also benefited from it. Formula One was one of those. But they also have a real stroke of luck. Because the Drive to Survive series on Netflix brought a lot of this attention to Formula One. And it got people interested and it got them paying attention. And a lot of celebrities wanted to come out because in case you've never figured things out about celebrities, oftentimes they're attracted to the new shiny thing, the big shiny new object. Maybe not the smartest people when it comes to diligent financial planning, but boy, they have money and people with money and big shiny ideas know how to get other people excited about giving that money over for the big shiny idea. And if you're not disciplined enough, you may fall for something that doesn't make sense. I don't think Formula One is tanking. But I think you could argue that Formula One might have hit its peak. 
Because they hit a major boon in ratings, attendance, sponsorship, licensing, private equity interest, stock prices in conjunction with different organizations associated with it, as well as the overall cultural sensation. And they certainly latched on to fans. But the reality is, is the on-track product is absolute garbage. I could use words that rhyme with goo and maybe the more explicit version to also describe that. But it's absolutely terrible. Red Bull Racing has dominated on the track each of the last two seasons, and they got the driver who's won, I'm not joking here, nine consecutive races. He is literally every week a minus, it used to be minus 250, now it's gotten to minus 300, 350, 400, 450, 500 odds to win on a weekend. There is absolutely no predictability. And I get it. Crusty the old sports media folks out there. Dynasties are great for sports. Uh, yeah, if there's a legitimate challenger. But when there's none, when you have many entertainment options, it's kind of boring. And it loses its appeal. All that bashing of Formula One to say this. There's also the reality of this. Formula One, by and large, has been flat the last year or so in terms of viewership. Their goal is to get closer to the 1.8 million viewers. Right now, it's been closer to 1.3 to 1.5 million. Put this into context, if you will, because this should help you understand NASCAR and their media rights negotiations, why the ACC, as absurd as it just sounds, to anyone with the level of common sense. The idea of adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU for an extra, on average, about $4.5 million per school That's before having to pay all the expenses of sending your teams out there. There are a couple things that you can actually take away from this. One is the fact that, again, people that are entrepreneurial often fall for the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal, the big, bright idea. If it makes sense and you've got a legitimate plan, hey, go for it. But sometimes it's just the shiny object idea. Look at all the athletes that invested in crypto before that thing blew up and burst. So there is something to that versus the dependable, tried and true, still good, still worth your investment, a la a Chevy Tahoe or a Suburban from Feller Chevrolet or that accurately referenced from Motor World, but maybe not quite the brand new car that in five to 10 years, is it really worth the squeeze that people paid for it? Some people just want to get excited about stuff and throw their money towards it, and that's fine. But it's not the only way to go about it. And again, this makes sense because you're looking at the ACC, Who's in charge but Jim Phillips? And realistically, the networks that represent the ACC. What are they trying to do by the idea of adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU, which has been put on hold because of the tragic shootings at North Carolina, but also word coming out earlier today that they may or may not have the necessary votes to actually hold a meeting to discuss whether or not they will admit those schools. And uh, as we've seen in the NFL and other leagues, when you're holding meetings, It's because you've got the necessary votes and approval. Then look at the other parts of this. NASCAR, it's taken them longer than usual to figure out their next media rights package. Part of that is how much money goes to the tracks and how much goes to the teams. And the teams wanting more money from TV rights deals and believing they have that level of cachet and power. And they realistically do because without those teams, is anybody going to be tuning in to watch motorsports at the same rate NASCAR has previously done? It goes to the bigger picture that we discussed yesterday in the fast lane, Trey, and that is we're getting to the point where I don't think the sports media rights bubble is going to totally burst to where people can get nothing out of it. 
But we're starting to see as money becomes tighter, the R word has entered our vocabulary the last handful of years, the I and the R word, inflation. Last year was like a 10% inflation. It's actually kind of stabilized, but still, it's not what it used to be. And then that leads to the other word, R, recession. Money becomes tighter. Well, networks have to make those decisions as well. The top isn't going anywhere. The big talent at ESPN or Fox or wherever are not going to lose their jobs. It's the people that are in the next wave. Expensive, but deemed to be replaceable by cheaper commodities that are out there. That is where you worry if you're in that particular category. Well, if you're in sports, it's the same thing. The SEC and the Big Ten have their deals locked in. Big state schools, big brands, networks have shown they're willing to pay for them. But they've been selective in who they've added and who they realistically value because the networks determine who's actually being valued by those conferences. Well, that's part of it. And then, of course, the sports leagues themselves. The NFL and the NBA are going to get theirs, no doubt about it. But NASCAR... If they can get a similar type take from these networks, maybe a slight increase, and still stay on linear TV, which is important for their demographic, I think that's crucial. F1, the desire to go from 5 million to 70 million to maybe again up to 90 to 100 million, I get it doesn't match the growth mindset if you're running a business, but it is the reality of business world still being beholden to economic conditions. And that is why I would say this, Trey, the point you brought up yesterday. The idea of the grant of rights for the ACC that ties all 15 schools, including Virginia and Virginia Tech, to that conference and the media rights through 2036. And if it was easy to get out, someone would have done it by now, including challenging it in a court of law. But the reality to that too, Trey, is very simply, when you hear these stories about conference realignment and expansion and going forward, as those bubbles burst, the ACC may be in a better spot than before, if only because... That grant of rights locks them in for a particular rate. And if you add schools and barely, I might add, boost the amount of revenue distributed to not-so-impressive brands like SMU, Cal, and Stanford, it can still benefit those schools. And, Trey, it boosts the volume of teams you need to get out of the grant of rights in terms of organizing a defection from the ACC. And if Florida State and Clemson don't approve of SMU, Stanford, and Cal, then it's going to be harder for them to believe that Already on the cusp of seven to eight schools, because the Magnificent Seven right now are FSU, Clemson, Miami, NC State, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Are you going to add more schools that are willing to jump the fence with you? Probably not, which is where it ties the ACC together for however long. And it's almost an entirely different strategy that is very difficult to comprehend. But when you look at it through the picture of diminishing amount of money or in the Mulder Woods of I got Kenny Powers. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Media rights, to be more specific, going to those conferences and other media properties, all of this makes sense. To say this, Trey, everyone is fighting for what is now a much smaller piece of the pie and probably going to have to temper their expectations of what they're actually going to get. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. I think I think college football will probably, because it's football, will be be okay when it comes to the rights bubble i mean i guess the big two at least um it it's uh it's definitely something that we'll see what happens but you definitely can see this bubble bursting uh you kind of saw it with the pac 12 to some degree you saw it a little bit with the mls but the mls kind of with their unique deal with apple was the re- one of the big reasons why they got messy and ultimately probably is a big win for their for their league but it's just you know when sports leagues like live sports is the only thing that is 
quote-unquote appointment television now in this world especially football football like football and basket football and then like postseason basketball um so I, I think the nba will get a lot of viewership the college football will get a lot of viewership and i think the nfl will be the nfl so where the grant of rights is a good thing is that i think you look at the Big Ten and the SEC are going to get what they get, and they're going to get what they want. It's the Big 12, where it's a question. And the battle between the Big 12 and the ACC for that third league is going to be interesting. So I think the Grant Rights in this age of could this, and I expect this quote-unquote media rights bubble to burst, well, they're locked in, and that's going to protect them somewhat and give them you know, protection down the line. Do I think this was a very overreaction to Maryland? Maryland, folks, leaving the ACC by doing a 20-plus year grant of rights? Yeah, that was a big overreaction. And probably if you could go back, you probably don't want to do the grant of rights like it is right now. But it's the one thing saving you as a league. Oh, it's very true. I mean, it is the one thing that's saving the ACC because Florida State and I guess Clemson's comfortable enough to ride the coattails. And frankly, the other five that are part of the Magnificent Seven, Miami, North Carolina, and NC State, Virginia Tech, and Virginia, they're, they've all expressed their desire for things to change and in essence believe they have enough cachet to get out of the ACC. Uh, I still have questions whether this thing is going to go or not because it just continues to be on the fence. It seems like a, it reeks of desperation for the ACC that they're actually considering adding schools at the Big Ten, the SEC, and the Pac-12, or excuse me, the Big 12, none of whom really wanted to grab, Well, and Stanford and Cal, and even SMU, because they were, have all been available in expansion. It, it reeks of, let's just grab something to say we're acting, and to be able to tell everybody, hey, we're adding and growing, when in reality, there's not a lot of evidence that verifies that these are actually wise investments, other than, what, if you add $60 million a year, but you have to split it amongst 15 schools, and we're going to assume limited to no cuts for SMU, Cal, and Stanford, and Notre Dame as well, obviously more limited than that. Even with 14 schools, that's about $4.8 million a year. Is that really going to move the needle? When you consider all the expenses? Probably not. But you're trying to sell this idea and concept to other people, and that's really where this all comes down to as well, Trey. Well, I was going to say um, that if the Big Ten had it their way and was not controlled by Fox, I think Cal and Stanford would be in the Big Ten right now. Oh, I think theoretically, of course. Because they want those two they want those two academic universities, uh, but obviously Fox is not going to pay for them, so that's where kind of the line comes in. Um, I will say this. I think Stanford... Jim Phillips has been praising a lot about the Olympic sports right now. If you look at his messaging, <laughs> I because that drives the boat academic or financially. Of course, he's definitely more of a traditional old school uh, commissioner slash athletic director. Like, let's and it's kind of the only thing the ACC can do right now is being like, look how good we are in all of these sports. Well, if you get Stanford, you literally can say you're good in everything. <laughs> Because they're good in everything. That's not... Like, they're good in all the Olympic sports. They're much uh, like the ACC, trade. They're good in everything except football and men's basketball right now. Yeah. So, uh, they produce a lot of Olympians, so that'd be cool. Um, it, but what do they really add? 
I mean, that's the big nothing. question. They don't no, add no, anything. They, they add $75 million, which shout but out has, to— But, but hold on. That has to be distributed 14 ways. So I think SMU is actually the most intriguing member because they get you into Texas, and they actually give a crap about football. And in this era, my favorite 30 for 30 of all time is the Pony Express. And you go back, like, the fact that SMU boosters are like, oh, it's what— $200 million to cover us for the ACC. Oh, that's nothing. Let's do this. Like, that's crazy. I think SMU getting into the ACC would be a really good thing for the ACC because you get a school that probably thinks like a, a Florida State. I'm not saying they are this, but they have boosters that think they're like a Miami, a Florida State, a Clemson, where they're not too afraid to use the checkbook. And who wouldn't want ACC legend... Eric Dickerson, ACC yes. legend, Aaron Rodgers, ACC legend, Andrew Luck. I mean, ACC legend, uh, Marshawn Lynch. I can keep going. ACC no, we don't, legend, we don't, we don't Craig need to James. go because of the absurdity of all this. But it, it, not only does geography not matter to the ACC, actual brand cachet and football interest has never mattered to begin with. Because look at the schools they've added. They bypassed West Virginia a gazillion times to add schools like Syracuse. Nobody in New York really cares about Syracuse. Boston College, nobody in Boston absolutely cares about Boston College. And even you can make the argument to a certain extent, pit to a degree, but Louisville is it got a very big, passionate fan base, but doesn't have the same size and strength of other conferences. But the ACC has added a number of schools, and they've been content to be the boutique football conference, which, because of these decisions, should you even feel bad for them if they eventually get picked apart by the other conferences? At this point, I don't, because they've made their own bed of horrible decision-making by doing this again and again and showing they don't value what really drives the needle right now from a common sense perspective in a world where we know everybody is doing the cutthroat business decision, but the ACC is living in some ridiculous la-la land proving the whole Hall & Oates point. That they're out of touch and we're out of time for this topic. If you want more Hall & Oates smooth, hits and smooth. others, Trey, Check out Rebound 103.9, Lynchburg's classic hits. In the meantime, we need to get to more football-related topics, including starting the Fast Five at five-ish with things that you might have heard yesterday in the Fast Lane. It's time for the Fast Five at five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. See, yesterday in the Fast Lane, or checking out Fast Lane, Ed Lane, where you listen to podcasts, you might have heard us say that we expected to be a very pro-Tennessee crowd. This coming Saturday for that noon kickoff between the Virginia Cavaliers and Tennessee Vols down in the not-so-neutral site of Nashville, Tennessee. Well, apparently somebody heard that because maybe it was Virginia fans who helped team up to push that game to a sellout. Now, maybe is about as close as I'm going to get to that because I don't think it actually was. I think it's just further proof that Tennessee fans feel a level of optimism for this game. They should. They're a 28-point favored. And that Tennessee, realistically, should perform very well at this contest. Now, the one thing you would have to say if there are not very many Virginia fans is we don't have to worry about them being part of a repeat for something we just saw last night that brings us to number four. As a couple of fans in Denver, Colorado, wonder what they might have been uh, consuming. Some people suspect the drinking kind. I would suspect that. Or maybe 
a little bit of a potent mixture of the uh, chewable, edible, or smoking kind, although most people that consume that mellow out, as opposed to the irrational decision-making from alcoholic beverages. But nevertheless, a couple of fans stormed the field last night to tackle, or at least give a hug, to Atlanta Braves outfielder and potential MVP, Ronald Acuna Jr. Where is security for this? I mean, that's my big question. You've got as much money employed in security, yet these fans came from the stands to get into the outfield to make this? I mean, really? That's the part that blows my mind. I don't find this to be all that thrilling or enthralling. The idea of fans rushing the field during the game, there's a reason why a lot of sports networks try to do everything in their power to avoid glorifying this. But it's true, you're looking at the fans' perspective, They've been consuming alcohol. So maybe get people in security that know what it's like or at least can relate to what might go through your head when you're really irrationally drunk and then try to make those decisions themselves. Number three. ESPN. Speaking of entertainment. Going to a movie theater near you. As this coming fall, ESPN will televise ACC football games at different movie theaters and... The New Year's Six Bowl games and the college football playoff will also be televised there. 73 games or so this coming fall. Um, Would you watch these in a movie theater, Trey? Are you a comfort-of-your-own-couch kind of guy or a sports bar guy? Well, most of these games I want to watch while I'm watching another game, so uh, I could do a sports bar depending on who I'm with, but typically I'll watch them and my six or seven TVs in my own home. See, I can't watch that many games at once, but I like to have control over the remote to flip games if one game is terrible and the teams are just absolutely not entertaining me with a complete game, uh, or at least both teams being in the game. I like to have the control of the remote. Personally, I like watching from the couch. Next to me is a restaurant because if I don't have control, I want multiple screens so I can just position my body to focus on the game or a couple of games that pique my interest. I am not as much like you, Trey, where it's multi-screen. I prefer one game, but I at least like the option at a good sports bar. That is really what you're uh, aiming for. Now, if it's the college football playoff and it's one game at a time and that's the one game you actually want to watch, you could probably convince me to watch those games at a movie theater because I think it'd be kind of cool to see that or an NFL playoff game or something along those lines at the movie theater as long as I can bring my own snacks and beverage because I don't want to pay the overpriced fee for that type of stuff but for games when it's multiple games going on at once I'm a control freak and have no problem admitting that number two speaking of potential control freaks coaches are often deemed to be this way and Virginia Tech football coach Brent Pry was not willing to disclose the specific injury to tight end Nick Gallo, who is listed as questionable for the Old Dominion game this coming weekend. Meanwhile, Virginia defensive end Chico Bennett is all but out for the game at, we'll just say that, Tennessee on Saturday as well. Why is that the case? He was not even listed on the team's depth chart. First of all, the Chico Bennett thing. That's one side of this. Virginia undoubtedly is probably going to get destroyed in this game. Is Chico Bennett's presence going to do anything for the Virginia Cavaliers' chances? Probably not. Let's call a spade a spade. So if that's the case, and it's not even an ACC game, and it's not one where most people will judge their expectations of the Who's for this upcoming season, voila. Make sure he's out and at least try to have him healthy for a more winnable game, even if it's a pick'em, against JMU the following week. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech with tight end Nick Gallo against Old Dominion with an undisclosed injury. By the way, that's the second game of our Saturday doubleheader. Six o'clock airtime right here on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. But 
if you're Virginia Tech, you should be able to win this game and control it against Old Dominion without Nick Gallo. I get Virginia Tech has lost a couple of times in the last decade to Old Dominion. Both of those were on the other side of the Commonwealth in the Old Dominion or at Old Dominion. Unlikely to be a case here. And Virginia has other weapons. And if Nick Gallo is the guy that makes this offensive line gel, as opposed to the five listed starters or a couple of backups that might rotate in, that too is something that should raise bigger concerns for the Hokies. And number one on the Fast Five at five-ish. Not normally the type here in the Fast Lane to give the birthday celebrations. But Wendell Scott, the Danville native and NASCAR pioneer, who was the first African-American driver to win a race in NASCAR, even though it took years for some of those victories to be acknowledged, he would have been 102 years old today. Because of his contributions, what it means to the sport, that is why it's worth wrapping up the Fast Five at Five-ish with that memo and nugget. And there is your Fast Five at Five-ish. When we return in the Fast Lane, a different kind of football. High school football. Week one in the books. There were thrilling games. There were closer than expected games because of sloppy play. Things you would expect in week one. We'll look back at those and ahead to week two with Ben Cates, local sports reporter, newsadvance.com, here in the fast lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.